So I'm going to be teaching on Joshua's uh, charge to the nation. This is subsequent to last week's chapter 23, where he was dealing with just the leaders. This time he's going to address all the people. But before we do that, uh, something I should have done last time was get us to prepare our hearts for the intake of God's Word. Uh, we all know that God, as Jack was teaching earlier, uh, and many hymns express the same thought, that if we regard sin in our heart, the Lord doesn't hear us. So we want to be clean. We want to be uh, properly uh, prepare ourselves and judge ourselves and come before a throne of grace. As First John 1, nine says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then we are prepared. The Holy Spirit can work within us and we can grow and mature in our faith in, in Christ. So let's pray. I'll give you a few moments of silent prayer, and then I'll open in prayer. Our gracious God and our Heavenly Father, we do love you. We thank you and praise you for all that you've done for us. Your grace knows uh, is incomprehensible incom to us. Uh, you've extended your love and grace while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us and solve the problem of sin that was the barrier keeping us separate. So, Father, we love you. We want to uh, worship you in spirit and in truth. Uh, help us uh, to remember these things that Joshua charges the Israelites back in the day and see how that applies to us and how we can uh, do the same thing that they were commanded to do. And we ask your blessing upon this teaching in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we've got... Joshua's charge to the nation, that's the last section of the book, chapters 22 through 24. We did 23 yesterday, or last week, I should say. It's, today we're going to look at chapter 24. Hi, Ed. Good to see you. Okay. And I'm going to skip over some of this that we went through last week. This was Joshua's... Uh, the end of verse, chapter 23, after the uh, division of all the land, uh, we'll, we'll skip that. Because we really want to remember that Joshua is, is a fulfillment of the part of the Abrahamic covenant. And we talked about this last week, but why did God bring the Israelites into the land? It was to fulfill the promises he made to Abraham. And it's God's channel of blessing, not just to Israel, but to the whole world, as we, as we uh, learned last week. Uh, and, and this is in contrast to the Mosaic Covenant that the Israelites uh, uh, made with God at Mount Sinai, because the, the Mosaic Covenant required obedience on the part of Israel. There were, uh, it was conditional that God would bless them if they obeyed. The Abrahamic Covenant, it was unconditional. God promised to do these things uh, on his part alone, without, no matter what we do. And those things uh, are three things that God promised, a land, a seed, and worldwide blessing. Those are the three uh, stipulations mainly in the Abrahamic covenant. And Joshua kind of looks at the, the first part, the land, the land promise, and uh, that, that doesn't fulfill all of the land promise because Israel in the Old Testament never acquired all the territory that God had promised, but 
It does fulfill Genesis chapter 15, verses 12 through 16, where God said the Israelites would be enslaved 400 years, and then he would lead them out into the promised land. So then we have the uh, Davidic covenant in, uh, in chapter uh, 7 of 2 Samuel. That expands on, on the seed blessing. And then uh, the worldwide blessing is uh, expounded on again in Jeremiah chapter 31, where it's called the New Covenant. So here's a quick outline of chapter 24. It's uh, 33 verses. Uh, last week's lesson was 16 verses, chapter 23. It took almost an hour. So just a heads up, it could go two hours. <laughs> Probably not. All right, so there's seven sections to the chapter, and as I outline it, first is Joshua summons all the people, verse 1. Uh, second section, Joshua tells and reminds the people what God has done for them. That's verses 2 through 13. Joshua gives a charge to the people in verses 14 and 15. Uh, the people respond, they answer Joshua's charge in verses 16 through 18. A covenant is made with the pe between the people and God in verses 19 through 28. Then we have the account of the death of Joshua in verses 29 through 31. And the last section is the burial of Joseph and Eleazar. And it's not really Joseph, but it's his bones. We'll get to there at the end. All right, so seven sections in the, in the chapter. This is the... Verse 1, and then he gathered Joshua, all the tribes of Israel, to Shechem. And he called for the elders of Israel, and for their heads, and for their judges, and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. Now, this is very similar to the first part of chapter 23, but this time it's all the tribes included in addition to all the leaders and elders. So now Joshua is meeting with all the people, not just the leadership. He basically, in last week, uh, we looked at, he gave them similar uh, instructions kind of to prep them for what he was going to say to the whole nation. And we got a reminder that uh, Shechem, that's where God first appeared to Abraham after he left Ur of the Chaldees and came into the promised land. That's where God first met him, and Abraham did build an altar there. And if you want to see on this map, Shechem is... Right, right there, out in the middle, centrally located. So it's a good place. Uh, and Shechem was located uh, between, in the valley, between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And that was significant in Chapter 8, where they had a, another covenant renewal ceremony similar to what's going to take place at the end of this chapter. All right, verse 2, this is the second section of Joshua is going to give them a history lesson. I'm sure they, most of the people remember all this, listening to their parents through the wandering in the desert. And he said, Joshua, to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. And it's interesting that he's saying that God is saying this, not him. This is not Joshua saying this. This is what God has, has told him. From beyond the river lived your fathers from ancient times, Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. 
Interesting. Abraham was no different than anyone else. He was serving uh, pagan gods just like all the other people at that time. And I took your father Abraham from beyond the river, and I led him in all the land of Canaan, and I multiplied his descendants, and I gave to him Isaac. Now, I highlighted that uh, word multiplied in red, both in the uh, English and the Hebrew, just to point out it's, there's a textual variant there on how to pronounce, properly pronounce that word in the Hebrew. It's Rabbah in the Hiphil. It's an imperfect, but it's... Uh, Clarified, the vowel points are added for uh, so when the Jewish uh, rabbis would teach or it would be read in the synagogues, they could get a better uh, pronunciation. Verse 4 And I gave to Isaac, Jacob, and I gave to Isaac, Jacob, and Esau, and I gave to Esau Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. Now in this discourse, we're going to see that uh, this is God speaking. It's, a, it's, all, it's in the first person, I gave, I gave, whatever. So it's, remember, this is God speaking uh, to the nation through, jo- through Joshua. Verse 5. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I struck Egypt by what I did in its midst. And after I brought you out. And after I brought you out. Verse 6, And I brought out your fathers from Egypt, and you came to the sea, and Egypt pursued after you, after your fathers with chariots and with horsemen to the Red Sea. But when they cried out to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought upon the sea, and brought upon them the sea and covered them And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt, and you dwelt in the wilderness for many days. So I wanted to point out here, note the switch in the the person used in the verse. He says, he put darkness between you. But then he switches back and says, you saw what I did. Your eyes saw what I did. So it changes from first person singular to third person singular, and then goes back to first person. So when I came across this, it was very uh, perplexing, but it clearly shows, I think, a plurality uh, of persons within the Godhead. That God is saying, I did this, I did this, I did this, but he's the one that, when you called out to the Lord, he put the darkness between you and the Egyptians. So it's obvious that there's obviously more, more than one person within the Godhead, and that the entire Godhead was with Israel, during the Exodus. I think that's very important uh, to remember that. All right, verse 8. And it goes back to first person, the rest of this, uh, this account of what God has done for them. Then I brought you into the land of the Amorites, who lived beyond the Jordan, and they fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then arose Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, and he fought against Israel, and he sent and summoned Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. And if you 
aren't familiar with that, I'm not going to get into all that Balaam did, but uh, you can read about that in Numbers chapter 22 through 24. Uh, it's an interesting story about this man, Balaam, who was receiving the word of God, but he was not a believer. I don't think you could make the claim that he really was, uh, based on what he instructs Balak to do against the Israelites who came out of Egypt. But he continues about Balaam. He says, But I was not willing to listen to Balaam, and he had to bless blessing you, and I delivered you from his hands. Now, last time we looked at some of the Hebrew words in chapter 23 where God, or, or Joshua writes down uh, in the Hebrew back-to-back verbs, one's a an imperfect, one's a uh, infinitive absolute, and how that's in such as the, the, in Genesis where God commands them not to eat of the fruit, because if you do, dying you will die, is what literally the Hebrew was saying. And so, but this here, it's, it's reversed. It's the, uh, the imperfect uh, followed by the infinite, infinitive absolute. So it's a little different. It's still, I believe it's a, uh, intensification, and in the uh, Hebrew, it's uh, both verbs are in the PL stem, so it is auto, you know an additional intensification of the verb action. So to blessing you will bless. Now I looked at the NASB, and I think it just says, "And he had to bless you," which I think is very uh, understated. It's, it's very mild uh, to what the Hebrew is saying. It's really an intense. I made. Balaam, bless you, basically is what he's, God is saying. So he, God had already told Balaam that he, Israel was blessed uh, before he left to meet with uh, Balak. So Balaam could not curse them, and God indeed does deliver uh, Israel from his hand because he was intent on cursing uh, Israel, and, and God said, no, you're not going to do that. Verse 11. You crossed the Jordan and you came to Jericho. Now they're in the land. And they fought against you. The citizens of Jericho, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Gergesite, Gergesite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. And I gave them into your hand. So God was fighting. Uh, they fought, but God was fighting for them. And he gave them into the hands of Joshua. Then I sent before you the hornet, and it drove out them from before you, the two kings of the Amorites, not by your sword and not by your bow. See, this was all God's working and fighting for them. They didn't have to uh, do much. They just had to obey and follow. And I gave to you a land which you did not labor on it, and the cities which you did not build, and you have dwelt in them. Vineyards and olive groves, which you did not plant, you are eating of. Now, if you're listening to my trans, this is my translation. If you don't, uh, I've never been privileged to uh, come here before, but uh, I try to keep the Hebrew order in the text. So it may sound a little choppy uh, compared to the more modern English translations, but um, this is trying to do the Hebrew order. And so God had provided for them so much that they didn't even have to work for. And uh, Joshua was reminding them of this in his, uh, in his speech. So that concludes uh, his history lesson. And then he goes on to... Okay. A little backwards there. 
So now Joshua's going to give them a charge. He's going to say, now because of all this, therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which they served, your fathers, beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. So it's kind of shocking to think that even through all this that God had done and all the battles they had won that God had fought for them, that they still had idols in their midst, in their possession. But now Joshua, who's aware of this, says, put them away. And serve him, serve the Lord in sincerity and truth. Because God is worth trusting. God's not going to fail. And let's compare that with John chapter 4, verse 23. If you want to turn in your Bibles, John 4, 23. This is the account of Jesus at the well on his way through Samaria. And he has a discussion with the woman at the well. And so verse 23, Jesus says, But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. This is very similar. I mean, it's almost synonymous to be uh, serving God in sincerity and in truth and in spirit and in truth. So very applicable to us today that we need to keep on uh, remembering that God seeks worshipers who love him sincerely. And spiritually we need to serve him, not just outwardly like they did under the Mosaic law. Inwardly, they, they were far from God in, in Jesus' day. So God is not looking for you or for me, 97%, 98 99% of us. He wants all our commitment. Uh, when we remember uh, his words to Moses, uh, you shall serve the Lord your God with all your heart, not just part, but all your heart. That is imperative. All right. So the first part of verse 15, Joshua says, And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day who you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river. And I'll stop right there because in the red there's a textual variant. In the Septuagint it reads, The gods of your fathers. So it's not the gods your father serves, it's the God of your fathers. So I'm not sure what the uh, significance of that is, but uh, maybe there is a more important thing. But most of the manuscripts have the word serve in there. But, you know, that, that's just a, a, a variant in the text that I came across. So if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day who you will serve whether the gods of your fathers or the gods your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But Joshua says, in, I and my house, we will serve the Lord. So he lays it out there, pretty cut and dry to the nation, where he stands on this issue. That he's going he's gonna to serve the Lord. That's a very strong statement from a very strong leader on his last message to the nation. Verse 16, we get the people's response, and they respond likewise. They answered the people, and they said, Far be it from us that we would forsake the Lord 
to serve other gods. So I want to look at this uh, statement, far be it from us. That is a, a Hebrew noun, and the root is halil, but uh, what it means is something profane or reprehensible. So if they did something like this, if they forsake the Lord after all that he's done for them, yeah, it would be something considered profane and reprehensible for them to do that. Now that's the same uh, word used in chapter uh, 22 and verse 29 where the, uh, the two and a half tribes on their way back to, the, to their, on the east side of the Jordan, Ephraim, they built this huge altar out of stones and they were challenged by the other tribes thinking it was a, an abomination for them to build an altar when they were commanded not to do that. And that's how they answered uh, the tribes when they were confronted. They said, far be it from us that we would uh, use this altar to, to sacrifice animals to another god. So it's a very strong way of saying, hey, that's not something we're doing. So they, they continue their, uh, their statement in verse 17, first part. says, for the Lord our God is he who brought us up, out of, up from the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, and who did in our sight these great signs. So they go on to acknowledge all that God has done that Joshua's just recounted for them and brought to their memory. Let me ask you, do you thank God for what he's done in your life? All the blessings he's provided you? All the times he's stepped in when you were down and you cried out to him? Have you thanked God and remembered those things blessings that he has given to you. That's one of the things that uh, Paul talks about in Romans chapter 1, that people weren't thankful. So be thankful, because God has worked in your life. And I'm sure if you think about it, you'll remember a lot of things that you've probably forgotten, but uh, that God has done for you, and you can uh, thank him for that. So he brought us up from the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage, and who did in our sight these great things. And watched over us all through the way which we went in, and on all the peoples which we passed through their midst. So God was with them all the time they left Egypt. Forty years in the desert, he was with them. He drove out the Lord, all the peoples, even the Amorites, I guess they were a fierce tribe of uh, people and very dif uh, difficult, experienced uh, soldiers who lived in the land from before you. Moreover, we will serve the Lord as he is our God. So quite the uh, uh, strong retort to Joshua's uh, challenge to them. Verse 19, Then he said, Joshua, to the people, You will not be able to serve the Lord, because he is a holy God. Oh, because a holy God is he, a jealous God is he, he will not forgive your transgression or your sin. What? Really? Is this true about God? He will not forgive your transgression or your sins? That doesn't sound right. And I could be wrong on this, but I think we need to remember that Israel has bound themselves at this time to the Mosaic Covenant. They are required to obey the law, all the laws, statutes, ordinances, etc. 
And because God is holy, righteous, and just, he will invoke the curses and the judgments of the contract when they transgress and sin against him. They're not going to get a free pass. Remember, the covenant had them blessed if they were in obedience. But when they were not in obedience, then God was going to uh, put judgment upon them. Now, is that any different for us today? Well, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10, because I think we have an answer to that question. The writer of Hebrews brings to our minds, in Hebrews chapter 10, we'll pick it up in verse 23. This is starts off with an exhortation. It says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the, the day drawing near. Now here's where it comes into play, verse 26. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. So if we sin willfully, are we going to lose our salvation? No, that's not what it's saying. And it did, Joshua's not saying that either. I believe he's, what he's saying is you're going to lose rewards. You're going to lose blessing. You're going to lose fellowship with God that is more valuable than anything uh, we could have in our possession. He will forgive. We, we read many times in scriptures that Jesus paid for the sins of the entire world. And so uh, God does forgive, but there is judgment and there is uh, loss of rewards, loss of blessing, when we sin uh, and we're not in fellowship with God. I think that's uh, very explicit in the scriptures. Our salvation is secure. Jesus says many times, you know, uh, that, you know, I got you in my hand. Nothing can take you out of my hand. And John, uh, John also says similar things that uh, if we are, uh, confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. So, there's, there's not salvation, and, and, and our, our salvation is not in, in, in question. That is secure, but rewards and blessing are not. It's dependent upon us to, to obey the commands of Christ as uh, they were commanded here uh, in the Mosaic Law to, to obey the law. I hope that's clear. If not, see me afterwards. I'd like to talk more about that. I want to move on here. Uh, Verse 19, then he said, Joshua, people, you will not be able to serve the Lord. Again, this is the same verse, but I wanted to highlight the words transgression and sins. Uh, Hebrew, the first word is pasha, means transgression, rebellion, or crime. Uh, The second one, sins, is, is really hatat, which is sin. All right, verse 20, if you forsake the Lord and you serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do harm to you and be finished with you after he has done good to you. So, again, it's how that when they're living in the land, they're going to have to be in obedience. 21, and they said, the people to Joshua, no, surely the Lord we will serve. And then he said, Joshua, to the people, witnesses you are against yourselves because you have chosen for yourselves the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. 
So there's no doubt that's what they want to do, but many times, like, like we ourselves, we want to do something. We don't want to do the right thing, but we don't. And so uh, we love the Lord, we want to serve him, but sometimes we fail. That's why we have to confess uh, as it's brought to our attention. So again, George, Joshua reminds them, Now therefore put away the foreign gods which are in your midst, and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the, this is an imperative. Uh, incline your hearts, the Hebrew word natah, it's an imperative to stretch, to spread out, lengthen, which means to lean that way, that your hearts are, are following God, not following the world. Verse 24, Then they said, the people, to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So the people reaffirm their commitment uh, to Joshua. Verse 25, Then he made Joshua a covenant with them in that day, and he made for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. So it's the second time they're going to do this covenant renewal. It's uh, basically the same as the first that was found, and we looked at that back when I did chapter 8 in verses 30 to 35. And he wrote Joshua these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone, and he set it up there under the oak tree, which was by the sanctuary of the Lord. So again, and, and it's interesting that this is not called the law of Moses, but the law of God. And the sanctuary mentioned here, it's not the uh, tabernacle, because remember that's at Shiloh, not Shechem. But this is probably a memorial that was set up where Abraham built his altar and also where Jacob uh, buried the idols that he had brought back uh, when he came back to the land. That's recorded in Genesis chapter 35, verse 4, the story of Jacob getting rid of his idols. 27. Then he said, Joshua, to all the people, Behold, this stone will be against us as a witness, because it has heard all the words which he spoke to us, and it will be against you for a witness, lest you disavow in your God. So again, it's a, a renewal of a, a commitment that they had already made more than once, and so uh, Joshua is going to hold them to it, and this stone will be a reminder whenever they pass through there, and this was a, a major trade route uh, going through the, the two mountains, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. Uh, so they would be reminded of it. Now, this is one of nine uh, cairns, it's called, cairns in the book of Joshua. And a cairn is just a pile of stones. I looked this up because <laughs> I didn't know. A pile of stones set up as a marker, monument, or memorial of some kind. So remember the first one in, in Joshua chapter 4, in the middle of the Jordan River, when they uh, entered the land, God had parted the waters, just as he did at the Red Sea. And they built up 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan, as God commanded them, one for each of the tribes. And then when they got onto the bank of the western side of the Jordan, uh, they built another memorial. Uh, the stones in the Valley of Achor, chapter 7, that was Achan's uh, judgment upon him and uh, his family. They buried a pile of stones upon his body after he was executed. Uh, the heap of stones at Ai, that's another one where they had victory after initial defeat. Uh, as I mentioned before, on Mount Ebal, Joshua had built an altar of stones. That's chapter 8, verse 30. And then he wrote on other stones the law, the Mosaic law, probably mostly just Deuteronomy, uh, so that people passing through there would see and read the law that he had posted there. Uh, 
And then the stones at the cave of Machedah, that's uh, in chapter 10, when they uh, defeated the kings who were hiding in a cave. They brought them out, they executed them, and then they threw them back in the cave and piled stones on top of the entrance. And then chapter 22, we looked at, this was the altar built by the two and a half tribes on the uh, western side of the, uh, of the Jordan, and that uh, almost caused a, a civil war with the other tribes, but uh, cooler heads prevailed. And then the last one, the ninth, is this stone of witnesses here at Shechem that uh, are put under the oak tree. So chapter 24, verse 28, Then he sent away Joshua, the people, each man to his inheritance. So that, that's it. That's the end of Joshua's leadership role uh, to the nation. Uh, everyone goes their own way, and it's up to them now. And, you know, similar with us. You know, we've been told the word. We've been studying under a pastor teacher. But when we go out in the world, we've got to make those decisions ourselves. We've got to make the right decisions. And uh, they... The people of Israel, they, they challenged themselves to uphold the law, and they were going to obey the Lord. Uh, and we see that that generation had great success. Following generations, not so much. So verse 29, we read uh, about Joshua's death. It came about after these matters that he died, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, son of 110 years. That's how it's written in the Hebrew son of 100 year, 110 years. Uh, that's just the way they said it. It's kind of strange to us, but it's translated just died at the age of 110 in most translations. So that's Joshua's death. And then we have like a uh, statement about him. They buried him in the territory of his inheritance in Timnasserah. As we read about, that was where he was uh, given property which is in the hills of Ephraim on the north of Mount Gaash. Now, there's a, a major textual variant about this Mount Gaash that I didn't track down. I didn't have time, but uh, I'm going to dig into it and find out more about that because it's never mentioned again that I'm aware of in the, in the scriptures. But it had to be in the territory of Ephraim, but that's for another time. Verse 31, And they served Israel, the Lord, all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who lived longer days after Joshua. Now remember, uh, the, Exodus the Exodus generation was passed over. They all died in the desert except for Joshua and Caleb. But that was only if they were older than 20 years old. So people that were 20 and under were still around. These were the elders mentioned here. And who knew all the deeds of the Lord which he did for Israel. So that, as I said, the generation, the conquest generation was very successful. They trusted God even though they did obviously have some idols in their possession. Uh, but God fulfilled his promise to Abraham. And then chapter 24, verse 32, we read of, uh, it's the final section of the, of the book. Now the bones of Joseph, it wasn't Joseph's whole body, just his bones that were left. They brought up, when they uh, left Egypt at the Exodus, they, that was his request. Uh, and why don't we turn there quickly? Genesis chapter 50. And verses 24 to 26, we'll read them. Uh, Genesis chapter 50 and verse 24, Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, 
But God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones up from here. So Joseph died at the age of 110, and he was embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt. That's what they brought with them into the land, and they buried him uh, in the portion of the field which he bought, Jacob, from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for 100 pieces of money, and they became the inheritance for Joseph's son. So he was buried in the family uh, cemetery but near Shechem. And then the final verse we have, verse 33, Eleazar, who was the son of Aaron, the high priest, died, and they buried him in Gibeah of Phineas, his son, which was given him in the hills of Ephraim. So remember, the, the Shiloh was in Ephraim. That's where the uh, tabernacle was set up at this time. And so Phineas, as we all know, he becomes the high priest. He's the grandson of Aaron. And that uh, ends, the, ends the book of, of Joshua. So what can we learn? What can we learn? So many things, but I kind of, for time, we got, we got three. We can do anything the Lord asks. Remember, God has promised us so many things and, and promised to uh, strengthen us and provide for us and to empower us. We have a spiritual gift that we can utilize to serve him, and he wants you to do just that. He wants you to serve him. So he's prepared you as he prepared Joshua, and we'll get more into that next time, but he, he prepares you in your life for whatever he has planned for you. He doesn't just throw you into the fire. No, like Joshua, he was uh, trained under Moses for many, many years before he uh, assumed the role of uh, leader after Moses' death. So we can do anything the Lord asks. We have to be willing to serve. Second, remember everything that the Lord has done for you in your life. I think this is important to maintaining a close relationship with God. If we're remembering everything he's doing for us and has done for us, then we can be more in tune with him. We can uh, continue to be uh, strengthened, taught, and prepared to grow and mature if we're remembering all that God is doing. And it's not just, it's going to end one day. No, God is going to continue to uh, strengthen us and to provide for us in the future. Uh, John four fifteen. let me read that real quick. You don't have to turn there. But John 15, verse 4, is very apropos for, for this, where Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Think about that. Anything we do that's apart from God's working in us is trash. As Isaiah said, it's filthy rags. So remember that. If, if you're thankful for what God has done for you, keep, keep the faith. Let it strengthen your faith that God is going to continue to be a factor and a force for good in your life. And last, let's see, the options in many decisions we have to make are to obey the Lord or to disobey. And that's what Joshua pretty much sums it up. Choose, choose life or choose death. Choose to obey the Lord or not. And that's the uh, same for us. We have decisions to make. Not everyone is going to be uh, 
good or bad. Some are just good or better. But uh, on the main things, we need to trust God and choose his way, not our way. All right, that sums up this next time. We're going to go through the whole book. For those of you who may have missed some of the uh, teaching that I did, I was doing one chapter uh, at a lesson at a time. But if you want to hear the whole summary of the book, come in, tune in next time, next Sunday, second hour. We'll go through the whole book summary. And uh, it'll be fast, it'll be quick, but uh, I think it'll be very edifying to see what Joshua did over the course of his whole life and how God used him to bring about his fulfillment of his promise. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this uh, wonderful book of Joshua and all the uh, events recorded in it. We thank you and praise you that we have so much light uh, from your word given to us that we can apply uh, so many things, Father. Father, we know that you love us. We know that you care for us. You provide for us and that you have a plan for each one of us. So, Father, we pray that you will help us to be mindful of who you are, what you have done, so that we can continue uh, to grow and mature in the image of Christ and serving you uh, in all our days so that we can uh, glorify you as you richly deserve. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.